You're the God of this city. You're the King of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in this darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. There is no one like our God. Amen. So it's really a, a great blessing to be uh, back home, and uh, I, re- I look forward to uh, meeting a lot of you who. Uh, would be new to me, and also reconnecting with the many that uh, have been part of of uh, my journey here as a pastor. Um, I was the senior pastor here for nine years, and as Pastor David said, God gave me the opportunity to go and uh, revitalize our church. What I'll do, because, because I do not want to bore you and stop and saying, now let me give you an update. Allow me to weave the story of what God has been doing as uh, as I go through the sermon. And through that, and uh, I trust that you'll be able to get just a picture of what God is doing. There is so much. And with a little bit of time, I thought it would be best to just weave, it, weave the story of Earlwood. Now, K3C today kicks off the mission month. This is a time that is set aside for us to focus on mission, intentionally think about missions. Now, the core of missions must begin with a heart that is mission-shaped. Otherwise, when we talk about missions and step into the area of mission, we start thinking events and functions. We think of strategies and, and you know, all these things. But well before we start thinking about uh, missions as events, uh, as, as, as all these things, we need to see missions as everyday living. Everyday living. So that as, as, as we step into this month and talk about missions, my prayer is that when we think about the word mission, and when we talk about mission, and I'll build on this more next Sunday, but when we talk about mission, my prayer is that we need to see it as everyday living. We're going to build the sermon today around one truth, and this is the truth. Any great work of God begins with God doing work in you first. Any great work of God begins with God doing a work in you first. Think about all this great, the great giants of faith. When you think about people like Moses, uh, Abraham, when you think about Peter, Paul, uh, all these individuals did great things for God. But before that happened, God did something in them first. And that is the truth we'll build about, around. Any great work of God begins with God doing work in you first. Now, I don't know if Pastor David has given you permission to talk to your neighbor. I will give you, I'll extend that permission. All right? Just tell your neighbor, today, no. Today, no. That any great work of God begins with God doing a work in you first. Now, one of the best examples of this is Jesus Christ. He teaches us this himself. And our portion of scripture is going to be from John chapter 4. So, we're going to read through the whole chapter um, and before, we're not going to go through it, all of it right now, but we'll sort of break it up into parts. And I want to start by giving us a bit of a background. Now, Jesus Christ has done miraculous things up to this point. He's baptized, um, you know, John the Baptist has confirmed this is the Son of God. There's a lot happening. And Jesus Christ is on his way. And along the way, he stops at a well. And we pick up 
uh, his journey in John chapter 4 from verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself didn't baptize them, and his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had gone through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from the long walk. He sat down beside the well, weird, around noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone all this he was alone at this time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse 9. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So we ask ourselves, when we talk about missions, first we need to realize that missions is a spiritual journey. It is not a strategy, it's not an activity. And we're not ignorant that there's an enemy out there who works hard to derail the mission of God. When we see missions as events and and strategies and activities, the devil is not really uh, having an issue. But things change when we realize that mission is a lifestyle. And we choose to start living missionally, then we become a target. And roadblocks and barriers are put up. And Jesus Christ went through this himself. And the first thing we do, if you're going to be missional in heart... And we're going to have strong conversations. We're going to have, we're going to, first thing we're going to do is break barriers. And Jesus Christ himself faced barriers even as we start this conversation. So the idea of today's mission, uh, uh, sermon is this. Any great work of God begins with God doing a work in you first. So if we're going to move from thinking about missions as activities and as strategies and events, we need to move to a place where if it becomes missional, then we need to be missional everywhere we are. And this great example of Jesus Christ is a conversation that happens at this well. As Jesus Christ starts and lives out his mission, he says, I came to bring life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. As he brings out his mission through this, through, through this woman, the first thing he faces is a barrier. The first one is a historical barrier. Now, the Jews and Samaritans never agreed. And this is the reason why. The nation of Israel was one. And after Solomon, it's broken into two. And you have the northern kingdom, you have Judea and all that. And what would happen? After a while, the nation was conquered and destroyed. And the Assyrians brought, what they would do when they would conquer a city, they would bring people from their country to that city and they would exile people from that place they've conquered to their city. And so what they would come and bring people to be in that uh, city, and they would, they would take all the educated people, uh, all the, you know, the skilled people, they would take them to their country. And they would bring farmers and other people, and, 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 and for example, the military, to this other place. Now, the only way that the nation of Israel survived was in two things. First thing, they maintained their way of worship as God, as the one and only true God. They did not in any way accept any religion that was brought to them. That's one of the ways the nation of Israel kept themselves separate even during exile. And you see this in people like Daniel, you know, all these things. When we read about their capture, there is always a remnant that stayed true to the worship of one true God. The second way they kept themselves safe was they never intermarried. They never ever intermarried. And because they knew God had forbidden them to do this. But when the Assyrians were brought, part of this, uh, of this kingdom, people in, uh, of uh, Jewish people, started to intermarry with the Assyrians. 
And then after many years, the Assyrians were uh, overthrown. The Babylonians came and those guys intermarried. And the, the, a, a new tribe sort of people was born that had Judaic practices in terms of worship, but also had some pagan elements to it. And these were the Samaritans. And the Samaritans to the Jews, were they really despised them. Because they were a constant reminder of, an, of a people that walked away from God, that broke the covenant of God. And the Samaritans and the Jews never got along. So the first thing as Jesus Christ is talking to this woman, the first barrier he faces is this barrier. That this woman does not say, why do you need to talk to me? I'm a Samaritan and, and, and you're a Jew. Why would you talk to me? The second cultural barrier he faces was a cultural barrier. Men and women did not interact like this. The Jewish attitude toward women was really interesting. Now, it had drifted away from what God had intended. God created man and woman equal. He loves them both equally. And God, we see that God's, the, the place he has for women, even in the nation of Israel, was very significant. But the, the, Jewish, what the, the Jews, what they had done, they had created laws and put traditions that had drifted and pushed men away from the center. And so when Jesus Christ is talking to this woman, this woman is shocked. That's why she says, you, a Jewish man, talking to me? Because she knew that there's no way a Jewish man would talk to her. It was so bad that uh, for Jewish men, they had a prayer they would make every morning. They'd say, thank God I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. It was that bad. Hebrew men would not walk with their women in the streets. Not their mothers, their daughters, or wives, nothing. And let alone a Samaritan woman. Then there's a barrier he faces, which is a barrier in worship. Now the Samaritans, uh, what they did is they only believed in the, the five, the Torah. That's the only thing they believed. And they did not believe in all the other prophets. They only believed that Moses, the only prophet they were expecting was the one Moses talked about. Who was the Messiah. And they had their own way of worship. And they had built their own temple uh, 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 in Mount Gezerim. And they had said that is where people worship. And Jerusalem was not the real place. They did not believe that. So already there's so much barriers. But remember, any great, great work of God begins with God doing a work in you first. So Jesus Christ starts having a conversation. Now, the reality is that if you're going to live missional, we are going to come against barriers. So many barriers. And you have to understand them. One of the things I realized when we got to Australia is Australia is a very interesting, it's, it's post-Christian. And there is a lot of um, synonyms, uh, what, what would I call it? There's just this place where they put God and church. In the place I'm at, I'm at where it's called the Inner West, this, they call it the graveyard of churches. Because the churches in that area, which is near Sydney and around it, uh, going about maybe 30, 40 kilometers in that whole Inner West region, you hardly get a church that is more than 50 people. Five zero. When we got to Australia, we were going to revitalize this church, uh, Elwood Baptist Church, as the first step in, in the journey. And I remember when I got to the church, two things struck me. The first thing that struck me is that the congregation we were given had nine people. I got into a meet, I got in, the first Sunday I was going to visit the church, I got in, I found people around the table, I sat with them, service was starting at 9.30, I said, hey, uh, my name is Ken, I'm coming to preach, uh, let me know where, where is the service happening, they told me, you're in the service. 
We're all seated around a table. I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. The pastor of that English congregation is 86 years old. I have a Greek congregation. The Greek congregation has about maybe 20 people. Had about 20 people then. The youngest person in our Greek congregation was 72. The pastor who had pastored for 51 years is 87. And I asked them, we live in a community. Uh, the inner west is sort of the equivalent of the South Sea, South B. There's so many young people. So many. The harvest is plentiful, but there were only nine people in a church sitting around a table and a few elderly people. And as I talked to people, I tried to understand what is it? Why are there so many barriers? And somebody pointed out to me to understand the history of the church in Australia, how it started out. Because that gave me an understanding of the spiritual strongholds that were there. Firstly, you, we realized that Australia was a, a convict colony, meaning uh, when Britain could not handle its uh, people, who were, the criminals, they shipped them to Australia. The, that's the furthest they could get them out. And there are a few things they did. For every boat that arrived with convicts, there was, uh, I mean, the, the officers and the police, whoever brought them, and there was also an Anglican minister. So when you come to Sydney, one of the places, uh, one of the pastors took me to, to understand the spiritual stronghold in Sydney, is there's a place in Sydney where, where they landed, there is a, a court where they, they will do that, and right across the road was a jail. So they bring in the convicts, all right, and put them in the jail, and then on Sunday morning, they would chain them up together and frog march them across the road into the church. And they'll be shackled to the pews and listen. Now the interesting thing is this. Because of lack of resources, the, 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 the minister, the pastor was also the magistrate. So I'm, I'm listening to this story. I'm like, so here you are on Sunday, all right? I am, the, I am the one presiding over the communion and everything. You're shackled to the chair. And then come Monday morning, you come to me, I'm passing judgment on you. So there was such an, a hatred for the church and authority. So I started to understand this is why there is such an act, uh, this anger towards authority and the church. And you realize they're strong. These are the barriers we started working with. So I asked myself, here I am in Sydney, Australia. Uh, we're revitalizing the church. We have nine people uh, there. We have uh, 20 people who are now, unfortunately, in the last one and a half years I've been the pastor, I think I've buried six people. And that church is a picture, typical picture of a church in Australia, generally speaking. But there are also other great churches that are thriving and growing, and they're growing within the migrant communities. Sudanese churches, Lebanese churches, Jordanian churches, Fijian churches, Vietnamese, Chinese churches, they are thriving and bursting at the seams. The migrant community. But the Aussie, Aussie church was struggling. So what are the barriers when you think about this, when you talk about it? So Jesus Christ comes and already he's faced a barrier. The Suman Asola, historically, culturally, and even in terms of spiritual, we're not supposed to be conversing. I mean, what, this, what is it? So how do we break barriers? We go to verse 11 and we pick up Christ continues the conversation. Let's start from verse 10. So she's asked. Jesus replied, 
If you only knew the gift God has for you and who is speaking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Verse 11. But sir, you don't have proper you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And beside, you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Verse 13, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I, I give will never thirst, be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be, be thirsty again and, don't, and I won't have to come here to get water. So the first thing, how does Jesus Christ break the barriers? The first thing he does, it's very interesting, is that the first thing he does, he has a hard conversation. And you see, there's a place where he could start arguing, you know, actually the, Jerusalem is the right place. No, no, he just has a hard conversation. And what is a hard conversation? These are conversations that you have with individuals that about things that really matter. And for this woman, what really mattered for her at this point was the issue of water. At the issue of water. And I realized even in Australia, wherever you are, whether in Australia, you're in, here in Kilelesho, you're in Lavington, or in Kawangwara, wherever you are, you will always come up, up against barriers. Because people, unfortunately, some people, their, their hearts move further away from God, and some, the people, especially us who are in a place that's very Christianized, we become insulated with the gospel. We become, our hearts become hardened in a different way. Because we hear the gospel again and again and again. For this woman, the significant heart issue was water. She had to walk in the heat of the day, back and forth to get the water. But now she's found someone who can address her greatest need. I want to share with you about reality of, that I came across in, in Australia. I'm going to show you some, some data and, and how this has affected us. The first thing is this. The average age of attendance of a church in Australia, the average age of a member in a church in Australia is 50, I think 53 years old. 53 or 52 years old. That's average age. So that in any church you go, you will predominantly find a lot of individuals who are elderly, 55 to about 85, 90. That would be normal. You go to a church, so in our Sunday school, now, March last year, you sent us to launch a church. We went last year, we launched a church. We held our first Sunday school. Uh, this was the first Sunday school. We had about 11 children. Our kids, uh, Chris and Emma's kids, and a few other kids who joined. This was the first time to have Sunday school in this church in 19 years. This church had not had Sunday school for 19 years. And after the service, when we were having a tea and, and, and our morning tea, one of the women was really, one of the elderly women was really crying. And I said, Oh my God, what did I say in that sermon now? What did I say? So I decided to go to her and ask her, What is this? Because she was just standing alone in the corner crying. I said, What is it? She, she, she's, she's an amazing woman. And she told me in, in, in broken English, because she's Greek, she said, I have prayed and prayed that I would hear the voice of children in this church again. And I've been in this church for 28 years. And I remember when our children, the last of our children, married and went. And I've prayed. And today she was just standing around looking at all these kids running around and she was in tears. I said, God, all that this would, the weight of that just shook me. Could you imagine Kate we see not having children for 19 years? And this is a story that is repeated across the nation. We ask why? 
Why Australia? Because time has come when this continent and this nation must be good stewards of those that came that gave up so much so many years ago out of from England from they gave so much to come and we have received this gospel and we must be good stewards of it and take it to others. Any great work of God begins with God doing a work in you first. Reality. I don't know if it's up there. So the first thing, are you able to get those things? So, look at this. This is from last year's census. Christianity is in decline. Listen. It went down. Christianity went down by 22%. Church attendance by 48%. And no religion by 269%. Meaning, in the last census, when people asked, what faith do you profess? 269% more say they are atheists. Where our church is located, just about five minutes drive, we go into what's called Newtown. It's more the, uh, the trendy place where they have taken churches and turned them. Listen, they've turned them not only to pubs, but there's one they've actually turned into uh, an atheist center. But they've left the cross on top and broken parts of it. No religion, 269%. Australia is a growing nation, so they're building new suburbs everywhere. And the next thing shows us this. This average age, just go to the next one, Esther. Now, when the, the attendance, top re- six reasons why Aussies don't go to church. 47% irrelevant to my life. 26% don't accept how it's taught, outdated style, and there's always that one where there's 22% issues with the clergy or minister. Specifically, take heart. This is the reality. The next one shows this. Now, in, as they're building new suburbs, they have to do surveys and ask people questions. So, can you go to the next one, Esther? So they asked, what are the top facilities you need in this new community? The first one people said is a parkland with a walking track. That if you build Kilelesho, the first thing we want, we want a place we can walk and ride our bikes. The second one was they want good food and cafe. That must be there. Do you see where the church is? Number 13. The last thing people want in any community is a local church. Now this is not a, a, a Christian organization that did all this research. It's just a normal, secular organization. The local church. What are your greatest needs in our community? Number one, financial seminars and advices. Amongst, you know, the la- among the last thing is spiritual input and church services. This is the reality of the barriers we're dealing with. And I had to learn this because you go there and you're trying to do all this uh, crusade. Crusades will not work. Heart to heart conversation. This is where Jesus Christ starts the journey. If you're going to live missional, you must look at your, where you're at and realize the reality of where you're at, what barriers are there, and engage the Lord in prayer. Just engage in prayer. How did we do this? One of the things we started doing in the church was Alpha. Alpha is phenomenal. And the way we did Alpha, most Australians are okay to do any Alpha course as long as it's not held in a church building. You can hold it in a cafe. I saw them holding in pubs. I saw them holding in the park. As long as you don't tell me to enter the building, I will not do it. So we started doing one-on-one Alpha. But finally, we got a few people who we convinced to come to the church. One of them was a guy called uh, Kendall. Now Kendall came in. I had to tell him many times, you cannot smoke in the church. He's like, really, why? I tell him, well, because I don't want cancer and I really want you outside, you know. 
because he's he 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 someone this is someone who's about 52 years old he has no concept of church you know that reverence you have none so Kendall comes in and he starts going through Alpha. He has so many questions. You know, this God person is not real. You know, why are people suffering? You know, all these questions, all these questions. And then we started getting to a place where we started having conversations with Kendall that were real, hard conversation. And the thing with texting we learned is that you must learn to confront brokenness. Because the mistake many of us make is we stay in the heart-to-heart conversations. We tell people, oh, how are you feeling? How are you doing? You know, it's really, you do all these things, you do these things. We never move to telling people the truth and proclaiming the gospel. We try and fix things because we start getting sucked into this place. So as Kendall came and he stayed and he started going to our Alpha group, by, by, I think by the fourth week, I called him and told him, I want to have a conversation with you. What is your greatest struggle right now? He said, I just can't quit smoking. I've been smoking since I was 14. I said, do you believe in prayer? He said, I don't believe in prayer. And he said, would you like me? Even if you don't believe, I believe. Can I pray with you? That God would release you from that. Because my prayer was this. Oh, I took a step off. I said, God, release this man from this. In a miraculous way. So that he knows you are God. Because there are some things. You know when you get to people. When you deal with people who. Um, you cannot tell them, oh, God will give you money. Money is not the issue. Oh, God will give you health cover. The, the, the government has provided. Oh, God will give you house. So what is this God going to give me? I said, Lord, this one needs a miracle. So I told him, let's pray. And by faith, our shikh was telling me, what are you doing? I prayed. Three weeks later, he came and said, today, the whole day, I've only smoked one packet. I'm like, praise the Lord. I was hoping for something different, but praise the Lord. Do you know, by the time we were finishing Alpha, Kendall was off cigarettes. And that triggered him, how is this possible? What, what magic are you using? I told him, it's God. Confronting brokenness. So Jesus Christ, the conversation goes. This woman is starting to argue. And then Jesus Christ in verse 16 says, Go get your husband. Verse 17. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. You are right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You have certainly spoken the truth. Now the conversation changes. Once you get to a place where you can have hard conversation with people, you move from dealing with superficial conversation to addressing the brokenness in people's life. And Jesus Christ says this. In one statement, he brings to light what her real issue is. She saw her real issues. If you can give me water, I don't have to come back this way. But Jesus Christ in one statement brings to light this is the issue. We do not know the story about this woman, but we do know for sure that in this culture, to have been married five times is a big issue. We do see that she's coming to get water at noontime, meaning she's not coming with the other woman. We see she's a place of fractured and broken relationships. We know that in this culture, this woman this time, having divorced and remarried, she was an eyesore to many people. These are things we see. And Jesus Christ brings them to light in this statement. Verse 19, she says, You must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist on Jerusalem as the only place of worship? What is she, she deflects the conversation saying, uh, forget about that husband thing, you must be a prophet. Let's talk about worship. But Jesus Christ does something amazing. He shifts back to the real conversation about the real issue. Now remember the Samaritans only believed in one prophet, Moses, and believed the next prophet who will come is the Messiah. So Jesus Christ continues on and says this, Believe me, dear woman, verse 21, a time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. That's a very big statement coming from a Jew. 
You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But 23, but the time is coming indeed is now when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in truth and in spirit. Verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26 changed the whole conversation. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Think about where this conversation started. With barriers up, why are you talking to me? And then she goes to a place of, oh, you can help me. My greatest need is water. Then Jesus Christ reveals to her, no, your greatest need is not water. Your greatest need is restoration and salvation. He says, who is this? The, the, I know this, there's something about this Messiah. And he finally says, I am the Messiah. This is missional living. If we're going to talk about missions, this is what we're talking about. Conversations at the well. I'm not talking about events and activities. I'm talking about where God has placed you each and every day. Having these conversations. Now what happens after this? The disciples come back in verse 27 and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Uh, And then this is what happens. Let me read from verse 29. Uh, verse 1, verse up, 27. Then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask. Remember the issue? They were still dealing with barriers. How is this Jew, Shemaiah, talking to a Samaritan woman? They were still in that space. They don't want to ask him. To ask him what you want with her or why you're talking to her. Listen to verse 28. Then the woman left her water jar beside the well. Now at the beginning of the conversation, what was her greatest need? There is something that happens when Jesus Christ comes into the lives of people. The things that we think are significant and, and we hold dear, they become nothing before the Lord. And that which was most important to her, it says this, she left it there by the well. And what did she do? She ran back to the village to tell everyone. Verse 29, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? He's a woman. Her greatest need, restoration and salvation. What does Jesus Christ do? He addresses her greatest need. In response, she leaves what she thought was her greatest need and now moves to the village. She's forgotten all the things people think about her. She's forgotten about, oh, I've been married to five people. She forgets all that runs. And what happens? What is the result when we live out our mission? It says this. Meanwhile, all right, I'm going, to, I'm going to skip a bit because of time. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed Jesus because the woman said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he's indeed the savior of the world. This is in a Samaritan village. This woman was an evangelist before Christ died and rose again. Any great work of God begins with God doing a work in you first. This is the truth. Jesus Christ brings healing. God not, God not only brings healing, but can use the same brokenness to bring healing to others. 
God took this woman's healing, the brokenness. Christ took her brokenness. And out of that brokenness, an entire village received him. And the question I want to ask you today is this. How many know what question I'm going to ask? How does your Monday change? So how does your Monday change? What, what, what does this mean for us? Why should we care? Why should, why should we... What, what is it? As we start this mission month, yeah, so what, what, what changes? One of the first things I want, I'd love us to do is process. What areas of your life need healing? Start from that place. If you're going to be on mission for God, you need to address areas of brokenness in your life. And you need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, what areas of my life need healing? And if you try and do it with your own authority and your own power, you will go to the things you think are most important. You will go to your water jar. And that will be what you think is the most important thing. But Christ will bring to your attention through his spirit the areas in your life that are broken. And how can God use that brokenness to bring others to him? So how does your Monday change? One, ask God, what are the areas that need healing? The second thing, where is your well? And where can you start conversation? Where is your well? What is, what is, where is the place? Where is your Jacob's well? Where is this place? Whether it's work, uh, it's at school, where it is that you can actually start conversation. Now I'm not talking about preaching like you call everyone together in the staff meeting and, and say I'm going to preach to you because you know this pastor came and told us we have to preach to you. No, I'm talking about are you going to start hard conversations about things that matter? Because many of us have conversations that do not add so much value to... You know, because we want to be safe, we have very generic, superficial conversations. But I'm talking about as God enables you, are you going to have authentic, missional conversations with those around you? This is not a strategy. This is not a tool. This is a lifestyle. And before you step out into this month and do great things and mission and all that, remember this one truth. Any great work of God begins with God doing a work in you first. Let me finish Kendall's story. We have our last dinner for Alpha. And we're seated. God has delivered him from from smoking. When he came to Alpha, he came because his greatest need was like, I want to understand why there's so much brokenness around me. He was estranged from, uh, from his wife and his kids. Uh, he was divorced and his kids were, his three daughters were just not having it. They, they were just in a tough place. So as we go through this, this and we go through Alpha and we ask this question and we talk about hope and we, we, we go to the, 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 we pray for healing and deliverance and all these things. In the last dinner, Washuka talks with him and tells him, you know, Kendall, this is a great, a great thing, but we need, there's more to this. And tells him, you need to, you need to get to a place where you can receive Christ. This is a true, what we call a true Aussie bloke. They they don't, emotions what? You know, nothing. This man sits there, puts his head down and says, I want to receive him. And at first, all of us, the whole room kept quiet. He's led to the Lord. He starts coming to church. And about two months into the church, he tells us, in, in, in morning tea, he says, I want to tell you guys something. One of the things that you guys told us was this thing of prayer where you talk to God, and I've done it. And one of the things I felt God told me to do is to reach out to my daughters. Now they live in Melbourne. To live, to reach out to my daughters. I've done that. I've spoke to, spoken to them. And I've apologized that, you know, I hurt them. I abandoned them. I was not there. I apologize. And he says, the next thing that God has put in my heart 
is to move to Melbourne to be with my daughters and to see my grandkids. We're like, what? That is something only God can do. And on the Sunday we prayed for him as he went back to Melbourne. He, got a, he asked for a transfer back to Melbourne and he got it and he went. I looked at this man and said, even if it was for this one, it was worth it. If this, this is what we do. This is mission. Living on mission. Kendall would never have come into a crusade in my setting. He's not a guy I would have gone to and told him he had four spiritual laws. In our context, it would not work. All those barriers that I showed work against us. But our God is sovereign. God is sovereign. I want us to take a few minutes to pray. In response. I want to give you an opportunity to do two things. The first thing is to go before the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord, Lord, would you show me areas of brokenness in my life? Lord, would you help me see the things that I have seen as important, but they're not, and bring to light the things that are important. Lord, would you show me areas of my brokenness? And Lord, would you heal me? I surrender. The second thing is this. Lord, would you bring to my attention the well that you have put around me at my workplace, in my house, uh, in my business, wherever it is. Where, it, where is my Jacob's well that I could sit there and have these conversations? As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the greatest area of brokenness in all our lives is that we are separated from God by sin. And healing in that area only comes through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And my prayer is that before you begin this journey, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, or you have walked away from God, I want you to know God is a loving God and a forgiving God and will restore you to Him. And that is the first place to begin your journey. So if you're here and you're saying, I need to do this, make this prayer, I say, Lord, forgive me, come into my life. Or I need to reconnect back to God. I've, I've, Lord, I've, I've drifted away from you and I want to be back. I'm just going to ask you to put up your hand so I can see it and then put it back down. And I'll pray with you. If you're there, just put it up. I'll see it and I'll put it down and I'll pray with you. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life. And Lord, I pray that as we have interacted with you and your word, Lord, we know our lives will never be the same. Thank you for giving us healing. We who are far away, you've brought us close to you. We who are in the kingdom of darkness, you've brought in the kingdom of your son. And we are grateful for this, that we can call you our Father. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor David.